Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I'll be joined by Kentucky Hall of Fame head coach John Calipari, Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl, and Fran Fischilla from ESPN. We'll go over his scouting reports and some teams he's already seen this summer and here into the early fall in September. Uh, But we're going to start off with John Calipari because we had a month-long competition on Twitter. It was well-received for our team of the decade was not easy to try to come up with a five for Kentucky, as I will discuss with Cal. Uh, you could go a lot of different ways. They won a national championship in 2012. We could just take that starting five. Uh, multiple Final Fours within a whisker of a couple other championships. ton of Elite Eights. A slew of number one draft picks. Lottery picks. So many players to choose from. And more than anything, this was a popularity contest. And Big Blue Nation came out, of course, in droves. So not surprising. But they had a good team to vote for in our competition. So it all panned out where not just the most talented team uh, of the decade, but if we put this five of Devin Booker, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, and John Wall up against any other five, there's a good chance they would win anyway. Uh, with all those five playing in their prime at Kentucky. Uh, But it was good competition. We had Kentucky taking on a Purdue team that had Robbie Hummel and Carson Edwards and Caleb Swanigan, uh, Juwan Johnson, each one more. That's a great five. And Purdue also showing once again that their fan base, it comes out in droves. Tremendous. UConn, led by Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, outstanding backcourt. Look, they won two national championships in that 10-year period, and they got a great fan base, so I'm not surprised they were in there. North Carolina, Duke, uh, there were plenty of other schools that you could assume would have been in there that didn't make it, but Michigan State did. Uh, They were the other one that was in there in the Final Four, uh, multiple Final Fours. Once again, NBA players, Draymond Green. Uh, No championship during that 10-year period, Uh, neither for Purdue, which hadn't been to a Final Four uh, in that period either. But great talent, great runs. Uh, I got a little flack from Robbie Hummel for making Purdue a seven seed, and that's legitimate, legitimate complaint. But it was great competition, and I'm thankful to our fans at March Madness who followed it in the summer and engaged. And that's the beauty of not just this podcast, 
but also in our social media handles, how many of you are certainly engaging with the content uh, that we're providing at March Madness and here on this podcast. So in terms of content, and we're going to get talking a lot of soapbox issues as they arise um, over the course of the season. So there's going to be plenty to discuss there. Uh, but in terms of content, did a new Power 36 last week where topping that, once again, Michigan State and Kansas. Uh, there's going to be later this week my first preseason bracket, even though we've not played a game yet. So that will get a lot of engagement, I know. You'll see that on Friday to see where I've got some teams without even playing a game, where I'm anticipating who's going to be in, who's going to be out, who's left uh, first four out, next four out, under consideration. So different groups of eight there, total 16, I think, on the outside looking in. Got some interviews this week. And something I did actually uh, for the NABC uh, last week, you can check this out as well on my Twitter feed at the Andy Katz, is an interview with Mike Bray, who's the president of the NABC. And, you know, what's interesting here is there is some news with what's going to happen uh, in terms of, you know, potential changes to the recruiting calendar, you know, things that I think will shape different you know, the calendar in terms of college recruiting. And I actually want to thank Jeff Goodman, uh, who crystallized it here on Twitter for us. And so as he wrote in his tweet about my interview with Mike Bray, NCAA academies are going to remain, this is what Bray said to me, at the end of July for next season, they're hoping to move them either early July before that first weekend of evaluation period or late June uh, in 21. They want to make sure there are two recruiting weekends in April, even when the calendar doesn't allow for it because of Easter weekend, the ACT, SAT, the Final Four leaves a lot of times one weekend, which is what happened last year or this past year and will happen again in 2020. So they're going to try to figure out a way that there's always two weekends, whether they uh, carve it out in a year like we've got where there isn't one, a second one in April. So you do the first weekend of May to ensure that when there aren't two in April. And then coaches have been searching for this balance. And so there's going to be a proposal that's going to go forward at some point in the near future to make sure that there are 10 days dead, no recruiting in August. Can't have anyone campus. They can't police you totally that you you know, can never come across someone in some form uh, or communication, but they were going to try to make it as dead as possible so that you can do what you want with that time. You can go on vacation, whatever you want to do, spend time with your players on campus. Doesn't matter. Dial it down 10 day period. So they want to do that. So, and I think those are all great proposals, things that I think will go forward to make this system better. It was the first year of the new calendar and I think that they will improve upon it. All right, so I'm doing a list every week on this podcast. We also repurpose it on social media at March Madness. This week, five schools that I know I'm going to be wrong about. <laughs> didn't have in my power 36. Didn't have under consideration. Giving a little secret away. Don't have in the tournament later this week. Five schools I know I'm going to be wrong on. One, Oklahoma State. Starters are back. Cameron McGriff, this is a school under Mike Boynton, I think could make a run. Two, Ole Miss. 
Kermit Davis had this team in the tournament last season. They went from basically last to first in terms of predictions. I'm excuse me. At one point, last to uh, being in the tournament is what I meant to say. Last to being in the tournament in terms of preseason predictions, um, not first. Brian Tyree back. There's an Ole Miss team which will probably be undervalued again. Three, West Virginia. There's no way Bob Huggins can stay down long. Oscar Shubway, big-time newcomer coming in. It's going to have a major impact. The Mountaineers went on a foreign trip. Expect the Mountaineers to be in play. That's three. Four, St. John's. Mike Anderson, he's never out of it. He'll be in the, he'll be in the mix. Mustafa Heron, LJ Figueroa. The Red Storm will be somewhere in the mix. Temple at number five. Quentin Roseback, this is a team under Aaron McKee and his first year's head coach where I fully expect them to be somewhere in the mix as well. So I didn't predict them to have any NCAA Power 36 role at this point. At some point, I think those five schools I'll be talking about. Those are the five I'll be wrong. There could be others. (laughs) All right, let's get right to it. The winner of the team of the decade in our March Madness competition, Kentucky. Kentucky head coach John Calipari joining us on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Kentucky Hall of Fame head coach John Calipari. And John, to no one's surprise, Kentucky won our team of the decade competition on Twitter, tens of thousands of votes. Big Blue Nation came out, but look, this five would be tremendous. Devin Booker, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. You've got Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, John Wall. Imagine, John, if you had that five playing for you, or really any five of the last decade, at one time. What would that team be like? Um, It would be crazy. And I said that a couple different times. You know, and you and I could have a second team that's ridiculous, too. But, you know, what's been great about here is we've had guys that are willing to share, that are coming in with an idea that they want to get better, that they understand what the culture is here. You know, they've come in without, you know, promises of shots and playing time and all that. And, you know, what what you put out were five freshmen. That's what you just named five freshmen. And so it's neat. And it, and our fans are the best. They, you know, they're going to engage in this stuff. They're so proud of the team and the players. And, you know, they've always been that way. Well, the hard thing for me, John, which I know would be almost impossible for you was for me to try to pick five uh, that, you know, there were a lot of schools cause I did a whole bracket of 64 and some, it was pretty easy. I mean, it was obvious who you, the top five over the last decade would be, uh, with Kentucky, it was almost impossible to just pick five. How hard would that be for you? Yeah. People ask me all the time and I, and I don't go down that road because we've coached so many kids. Well, and, and I've been doing this 30 some years, but the, the 10 we've been here, so many kids and just almost to a man. And I, I would say they've sacrificed for each other. So some guys would have, you know, a, a Trey Lyles who, uh, how about a Jamal Murray? You know, you, you, you have guys, Julius Randall that, that are not on there. You're talking about guys that end up with max deals that aren't on there in the NBA. And so 
you know, the best thing in this is these kids have all shared for each other and sacrificed for each other, and none of them have been hurt by it. I'll say it again. They, none of them were volume shooters here. They didn't come in shooting 30 times a game at Kentucky. But like seven of them are volume shooters in the NBA. You know, so they were able to come here and learn to be great teammates and help each other. And the school benefited, and so did they. And look, every season, it's a given since you've been there that Kentucky will be in the preseason top five, uh, will be considered a team that potentially can compete for a Final Four. That is no different this season. In the preseason, Kentucky will be a top five team, one of the favorites, of course, in the SEC, and with players that potentially could do exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, the season is going to get going officially here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you've got returning players, certainly at the point in Ashton Hagens. You've got some bigs returning, uh, led by Nick Richards and uh, E.J. Montgomery and plenty of impressive freshmen yet again. In the little snapshot that you've seen so far, uh, what has most stood out to you? Well, we've got our guard plays really good, and E.J. and, and Nick have gotten better. Uh, we got Nate Sestina. Uh, from Bucknell, and he is better than I thought. He's going to really help us. And our young kids are good. I mean, so, you know, but guard play, I think, is so vital. And if you have good guard play, you got a chance. And, um, you know, anytime I've really had those guards have been really good, we're usually pretty good. A year ago, Ashton didn't know that he would sort of have the baton at the point. Now he does. How has that changed for him? Well, what happens for all these kids, it's like they come here and they really, you know, they, they may have a swagger, but it's fake because they don't know what to expect. So what ends up happening is it's like running down a hallway that's dark and you know that you may hit a wall. And so they got to, you, you kind of run, but you don't run and you kind of go, but you don't go. And so after they figure it out, like PJ, who came back here and, and, and ends up being a lottery pick. You know, I expect that for EJ, for Nick, for Ashton. I'll tell you who else is really playing well is Emmanuel Quickly. He is really making shots and physically in great shape. He works really hard. You know, great kid. He's going to be good. And the newcomers, before we let you go here, uh, I know you don't want to necessarily single out anyone in particular, but if I can just ask you about Khalil Whitney, Tyrese Maxey, uh, some of the higher profile guys that have come in, uh, this whole a- aspect that you've done so well over the last decade of buying into the greater good to the bigger than yourself, how have they adapted so far? Well, Keon Brooks has been good. Johnny Juzang has been good. Dante's been hurt. Uh, but you mentioned Tyrese and Khalil. They both, you know, in the eight weeks we had this summer, all we worked on was being prepared before you catch the ball to make plays, to see what's there. That's all we worked on for eight weeks. And the game's becoming more random, less plays, more actions into random basketball with spacing. And so that's all we worked on. And guys got better, and guys are getting stronger. Most of these kids are in high school. They don't really have a weight program. They probably don't eat the, the way they need to eat. And then they go to college, and all of a sudden, that's why they gain 20 pounds. And, and a majority of it is muscle weight. And how have they adjusted the new three-point line? It's fine. I mean, I think some teams are going to play more zone, and I also believe that uh, the three percentage should come down some, probably not much, but it will come down. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for teams. 
that are stepping back there that are going to shoot, you know, 40%. And we've had that in college. You know, that that would be surprising to me. And, John, finally, you've had an amazing decade at Kentucky. We just did the team of the decade. Kentucky wins. Uh, what's it going to take if we were to do this 10 years from now, your next decade, for Kentucky to be in that pole position yet again? Well, one of the things I've said, and, and I've made it public now, that that decade is done for us, and now I'm on my second tour of duty. And let's see what we can do. Um, you know, there were things that we did in that decade for the program, for the university, uh, Final Four's national title, all the things within the SEC that we did. Now, let's see if we can do better. And what's going to happen here as we go forward, some of the rule changes as far as the NBA and what the Players Association comes up with is going to have a big effect on college basketball. So let's see how we do. You know, and again, it's we're trying to figure out what's next and we're going to try to be first at it. And I think, again, that's what we're always trying to do. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. And up next here on March Madness 365, we'll be joined by Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. It's been a good summer for the Tigers coming off of that final four run where they nearly beat Virginia and would have had a great shot to potentially win the national championship. So a great run by Auburn to get to that final four. Uh, good draft to the Auburn Tigers. And Bruce Pearl has got a team that should be back in the top 25. I got him in my top 25 and my power 36. We'll talk to Bruce Pearl coming up. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. And uh, as the fall semester around the country is getting into full swing, almost at every school, some of the quarter schools still a week away. Uh, basketball season is just around the corner. We got media days starting at the beginning of October. The SEC media day will be in the middle of the month. I'll be down there in Birmingham talking to Bruce Pearl, among many others. And Bruce, now that you're back on campus, um, how much are you still talking about uh, relishing in the Final Four run, or or has it been a, a turn-the-page scenario and you're on to the next? Well, Andy, good to talk with you. Uh, no, we're going to still uh, bask in it and uh, celebrate it um, and be hopeful that we're going to try to get back in it. So, uh, you know... When the folks walk into the arena, there's going to be a banner hung. Uh, there won't be much ceremony uh, as we get, uh, because at that point, the season is starting. But right now, you know, we are preparing. We're practicing. Uh, there were things that we did the way we played that got us that far, and we want to remind our players of what those things were, certainly in recruiting right now, you know, to be able to, uh, talk to our prospects about the fact that, you know, Auburn has become an everything school in the sense that, yes, we're a great football school, but we're also really good at lots of other things. And you can come to Auburn and win championships at all sports. And yes, including men's basketball. How did your life change in taking the team to the final four, which is clearly uh, the Holy grail for a college basketball coach? You know, Andy, it was uh, very special because uh, it's the pinnacle of our profession. And so many great coaches and great programs haven't gotten there. And so you feel blessed. Uh, I'm grateful to Auburn to give me the opportunity to actually have taken a program there and coached the program, you know, there. Um, and um, Auburn is a great place. It's just been a long time since 
we've been, you know, competitive in men's basketball and our fan base is loving it. They're enjoying it. And our kids um, have made history. And we want to just try to continue to add to that history as we try to compete for our third straight part piece of an SEC championship this season. Bruce, as recruiting is going on here in early September, I'm sure the last couple of years, you know, you had to sell it. You had to convince them that this is plausible. Uh, how has recruiting changed in these last couple of months now that uh, you can say, and that you don't even have to say it, that Auburn went to a Final Four? You know, Andy, what we, what we did years ago was we started recruiting players that we thought were going to be great prospects, and uh, our program wasn't ready yet. And we went in and honestly had talked about that with high school coaches and prospects and said, but just listen, give us a chance. Watch us over the next few years and see if we can develop a competitive program. See if our players can come to Auburn and, 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 and graduate or get drafted. You know, Chumo Kiki going 16th. Uh, last year we had, uh, you know, three guys playing the summer league. Malik Dunbar with Golden State, Jared Harper with, Phoenix, where he signed uh, Bryce Brown with Sacramento. Uh, Bryce will be signing hopefully shortly with a professional team in the NBA in a, in a two-way contract. So, you know, that, that obviously has, has been where recruiting has changed some. Bruce, the ability to, you know, make threes at the clip that you guys were able to make, you know, was, you know, it was entertaining, but it was also, you know, it was hard to prepare for for teams to just deal with it with a team that was just absolutely just drilling threes, especially in that game that I saw <laughs> against North Carolina. The line has now come out, uh, you know, to the international distance. You haven't had a game yet, obviously, to deal with it. You've had some practices. How will that affect the way you play? That's a great question. I, I mean, I don't think it'll affect – I don't think the line moving back will affect the way you play as much as our personnel. Uh, you know, last year we had great shooters, and um, – we made the second most threes in the history of our game. I've always believed in the three-point shot. I've always believed in spreading it. And um, your great shooters won't be affected by it at all, Andy. Uh, your, your guys that are good shooters, they will. The distance is going to bother them. I remember when, the, when, when we moved it back once before, uh, it was a two- or three-point percentage difference. And so I think uh, it'll, uh, it's got a chance to open up the lane a little bit. We're going to be a little bigger team. We're going to go inside a little bit more. We may not shoot it quite as much, not because the lines move back, but because of our personnel. And then finally, it's going to be the the, the corners are where it, the players are going to notice the difference the, mo- the most. There are going to be a lot of guys stepping out of bounds in those corners because that line uh, is a, like it is in the NBA uh, is approaching that sideline. And um, guys are going to be really careful with their footwork. I think those are the ways um, moving the line back will have impact. All right, so let's talk about this team. In my Power 36, and this is part of, you know, what a Final Four does, you know, whether you had, you know, two guys back, one guy back, four guys back, in my mindset, I'm like, okay, I have to have Auburn somewhere in the top 25 because they just went to a Final Four. I knew you weren't going to be gutted uh, right now, and I've moved you in the 20s, different uh, places, and I'm sure it'll remain fluid. So I got you at 24 right now in the pre mm-hmm. preseason poll uh, yep. that we have up at March Madness. How fair is that to have this team in the preseason be a legit top 25 team? And um, I think it's legit because of the five guys we have returning. I think our front line will be 
the most experienced front line in college basketball. I mean, I've got three guys in Anthony McLemore, Danielle Purifoy, and Austin Wiley, who all are seniors and uh, have played a lot of basketball. So therefore, I think their production, their experience, their physicality uh, will go uh, a long way to, you know, sort of earning that ranking. Um, our backcourt is new. You know, we lost two uh, all SEC performers in Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. Yet we've got some seniors back in Javon McCormick and Samir Doughty. And I think those five seniors give us a chance. We have eight newcomers, and I've never had a roster where I had five seniors, eight newcomers, including six freshmen. So the learning curve is incredible. Every day in practice has been vital because those young guys have got a lot of catching up to do to understand how we're going to play. But the, the balance of college basketball is, is, is alive and well. How many teams, Andy, last year could you have legitimately said could have made a run to the Final Four? We were a five seed, and so therefore we were one of the top 20 teams in college basketball in the tournament. And then I think, you know, we, we, we demonstrated that there were at least 20, 25 teams that, that could have been in the Final Four last year. I don't think this year is going to be any different. No, I think it's going to be wide open. Um, you know, the favorites heading into the season will likely be Michigan State, Kansas, you know, Louisville schools like that. But I think it's completely wide open yet again. Uh, before I let you go, Bruce, your schedule in the non-conference, whenever you go to a Final Four, usually that means teams are willing to play you. Uh, but that doesn't always happen. Uh, we know a lot of games are scheduled years out. Tournaments are hard to get into, especially uh, in a league like the SEC, where Kentucky's obviously usually going to get first choice at some of the best if they want it, although John has chosen not to do a lot of those tournaments. So that's opened it up for the SEC. So looking at your schedule, uh, for those that are not as well-versed, I will educate you. Davidson, I think, will be either one or two in the A-10. That game's in Annapolis, so that's a great non-conference game right there. New Mexico should be better. You've got Richmond or Wisconsin. Richmond, I think, is on the up in the A-10. Wisconsin will be an NCAA tournament team. Furman was on the doorstep of potentially being a tournament team out of the Southern Conference. You know, NC State, I think, will be potentially right there. Lipscomb, which had a great run in the NIT, and then Iowa State, a game that was chosen for you in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, uh, is another team that I think will be in the NCAA tournament. So this schedule has potential tournament teams. How many of these games... Uh, were scheduled for you versus ones that you wanted to make sure you got uh, to ensure that you had those kind of power rating quad one, quad two type games? Well, the, the, there's a real, you know, the formula to get into the tournament is, is, is significant. The committee has always rewarded teams that went out and, and played uh, great teams. You know, the key is to stay away from bottom feeders and to try to play as many teams that were and will be in the NCAA tournament. And as you mentioned, you know, the vast majority of our non-conference schedule, those teams have a chance to be in the NCAA tournament or are going to be highly ranked in their league. The balance and the challenge, Andy, is, you know, giving your team enough success in the non-conference to be able to qualify. Uh, last year, we were a really good team, but at one point we were 7-7 seven and seven in the league in the SEC. We were 500. And we were playing good basketball, and we hadn't lost. We hadn't lost one game to a bad team, so there's a real balance in there. But I've always leaned on trying to play a tougher schedule. It gives my players a message that um, you know that I believe in them. Uh, almost every game at Auburn Arena is sold out, 
So right now, what we're telling our fan base, you got to get to Annapolis to go see an amazing Davidson, Davidson team coached by one of the best coaches in college basketball, Bob Killip. You got to go to Brooklyn to see us in, in, in there against Wisconsin or Richmond or, or New Mexico. Uh, come to Birmingham to look at us against Travis Ford's team in, 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 in St. Louis. And then, Andy, I'm playing at South Alabama. Uh, part of that is is sort of my old days from being at Wisconsin, Milwaukee, or Southern Indiana, uh, being at places where the high majors you know, would never, ever play you, let alone play at home. Uh, we've gone to tough places. We played at UAB and played them in neutral sites, and we've begun a contract with South Alabama, and that's going to be a very tough contest in Mobile. Yeah, in fact, looking at your non-conference schedule, if I'm adding this up right, um, I say only, but you are a high-level SEC team. You have eight non-conference home games, you know, so you are spreading the wealth here. As you said, you're going to Annapolis, you're going to Brooklyn, you're going to Mobile, Mobile excuse me, uh, playing in Birmingham, which, you know, obviously legitimately would be more your home game than St. Louis. Uh, so the, the true road does exist with South Alabama. You could have gotten a true road in the SEC Big 12, but it was your time to host. So, I mean, look, there's plenty of challenges here with the neutrals, of course. And I think this, if you play it right, you'll be rewarded, you know, in seeding if you do things right in the SEC as well. Uh, Bruce, I know you got to go and I appreciate it. Uh, This is a squad that I know we're going to be talking about throughout the course of the season. And I will see you uh, next month in Birmingham at the SEC Media Day. Look forward to it, Andy. Thanks for having me on. All right. Coming up next here on March Madness 365, I'll be joined by Fran Fischilla. Analyst for ESPN. He was in the Bahamas over the summer. We're going to talk about the teams that he saw there. And then, because he covers the Big 12 so well for ESPN, he's already been out on the road scouting some teams in the Big 12. We'll discuss that all ahead with Fran Fischilla. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, a bit of a, a scouting coach's corner with Fran Fischilla from ESPN. And Fran, uh, I love the fact that you've been out and about seeing teams domestically and in the Caribbean. So let's first deal with the summer. You were down in the Caribbean. Uh, A ton of teams took trips in August. Who'd you see? And let's break them down. Well, of course, I can't go on vacation with my family without going to find games, right? So, uh, Well, the beauty uh, is I, I, both your sons now work in basketball. Yeah. So yeah. it's an easy sell. It's your wife, Meg, that's obviously lived. She's lived and breathed it her entire adult life. So she's already in. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, but the problem is with the boys now coaching, and, and thank you for mentioning that, James is in Orlando with the Magic, and Matt's the video coordinator at Villanova, is that, uh, you know, like you know, you've been around basketball, coaching schedules are hard to kind of piece together, but we did have one solid week, which we used to go to Atlantis, and uh, to answer your direct question, I got to see Texas Tech, Georgetown, and Memphis play. Uh, Tom Crean from Georgia was there on vacation. I saw Trey Young. I saw the Murray State Racers. I didn't see them play, but I talked to Coach McMahon. So uh, it was a tremendous working vacation for me. But working being the operative word, Andy, because you know it's not work. All right, so you just rounded off three teams that I think are going to be in the NCAA tournament, regulars in the top 25. So let's deal with first the team that went to overtime to win, you know, had a chance to win the national championship. Texas Tech, what would you see? Uh, extremely athletic and young a year ago at this time, no one gave him a chance to, uh, get to the final four because they had just lost four starters. And then of course, 
they had the great season with two grad transfers, Owens and Mooney, and then Derek, uh, excuse me, Jared Culver with a great sophomore year. Uh, this Texas Tech team has one constant, and that is Chris Beard, uh, now becoming one of the best coaches in the country. And what I saw from that team is a couple key guys back, Davide Moretti, Kyler Edwards, uh, highly recruited guard out of Dallas area, Jemias Ramsey, who, by the way, had 44 in a game against a good Serbian team. And uh, he's part of seven, uh, seven newcomers. And uh, they're very athletic. They do pick up two more grad transfers and TJ Holyfield from Stephen F. Austin and uh, Chris Clark from uh, Virginia Tech, who was suspended last year, sat out, and now is eligible to play. And they're going to be tough, hard-nosed. Uh, I see them in the top three in the Big 12. And uh, I think, to your point, we'll be back in the NCAA tournament making some noise. What kind of confidence did you see in this group since they played for the national championship? Yeah, no, there's no question. Even though they lost key guys, obviously, a great group of guys, there's a winning DNA in that program that I could see uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, They played poorly the first night against the Bahamian national team and really responded the next two nights with great effort. And uh, they're going to play really hard. They're going to play together. They do have a couple of those key guys back and, uh, as far as confidence, man, there's no question, Andy, there's a winning DNA that's being developed out there that is not going away anytime soon. And uh, Chris Beard is not only an outstanding coach, which he's proven, but has great recruiting connections, uh, is recruiting Texas well. He's got some really outstanding young freshmen that people are going to hear from uh, very shortly, including Jemias Ramsey, who I, who I mentioned. All right, so Georgetown, uh, a team that was pretty close to getting in the tournament last year, and they've got guards and uh, Mac McClung and James Akinjo. They've got this newcomer who played well at NC State, sat out last year in Omer Yurt 7, who's going to replace Jesse Govan. What are your thoughts on this Hoya team that I think could really be a top four Big East team? Well, I think you're right. And um, you mentioned mentioned, uh, essentially a starting lineup back because you can pretty much plug in uh, Yurt 7 for Jesse Govan. He's that talented. I think he's going to have the same type of year that Jesse did. And I think actually he's, um, and this is not a knock on Jesse who had a wonderful career. I, he's a, he's a, he's a better passer. And I think he, I think he's going to, they're going to play through him a lot. I do love the sophomore guards, uh, Akinjo and, and Mac McClung. Josh LeBlanc became one of my favorite players, the, the sophomore from uh, Baton Rouge, who's just a high energy guy. And then Galen Alexander, junior college transfer, formerly of LSU, and Myron Gardner, two newcomers, I think are going to really help them. This is a really deep uh, Georgetown team. Uh, I was really impressed watching them play in practice. Patrick Ewing, as uh, you know, I'm just really happy for him, Andy. He got he's gotten his chance to go back to his alma mater. And uh, the one thing that stood stood out to me, much like Texas Tech, they play extremely hard. The guards will be a year more mature, a level of blank, and the year seven is going to be, you know, arguably, arguably, if not the best center in that league, among the best couple of low post players in the Big East, without a question. All right, so Memphis, uh, there has not been this kind of anticipation for a season since Cal left and took uh, Memphis with Derrick Rose to the national championship game. Another That was an overtime loss to Kansas. People remember, of course, in 2008. James Weissman could end up being the top pick in 2020. What'd you see from Penny Hardaway's crew? 
Well, uh, you know, they were, they were practicing load management with James Wiseman. You know, I was hoping to see him play, as were a number of NBA scouts. And uh, But having seen him, Andy, at the Nike Hoop Summit most recently, um, the kid is an aircraft carrier. 7-1, lefty, can play inside, can play outside. And uh, scarily, he reminds me of uh, David Robinson. And so if, he, if, his, if the motor runs to an 8 or 9 or a 10, which I think it will, I think he has a chance to have an outstanding season. Precious Achua did not play as well, highly regarded forward uh, from New York because of visa issues. But the, the constant for Memphis when I watched them play was they played extremely hard. Um, and a, guy, a couple guys that really jumped out at me, remember the name Damian Baugh. He's likely to be their point guard. He's a kid from Nashville, uh, six foot four, athletic, great on ball defender. Really was impressed with him. Boogie Ellis, the freshman who was committed to Duke uh, and then flipped in the spring. Uh, very athletic two guard. Lester Quinones, another freshman. So they have a lot of talent. I think the thing that I worry about with them, as I would with maybe Duke and Kentucky in recent years, is is that freshman talent good enough to go to Wichita State or Houston and win? There's no question that this is an NCAA team. The question is going to be, because of the youth of this team, when they get punched in the mouth by a tough, hard-nosed team, how will they respond? And uh, it's a great problem for Penny Hardaway to have, without a doubt. Yeah, and we'll be obviously monitoring how they handle the dog days of February, late January, when they've been going at it you know, hard for six months and you want to get to March, but you're not there yet. And all those games toward the end of the season can certainly factor into your seating or whether or not you're going to win a conference championship. All right, let's uh, go stateside here. You live in the state of Texas. Um, who have you seen so far uh, now that uh, school's in session at most schools around the country? Well, I've snuck, in, I've snuck over to Baylor, Texas, and, and, uh, tech, and TCU already, as I do, as I make my little, you know, uh, uh, John through the Big 12, if you will. And um, I don't want to put this monkey wrench or whammy on Scott Drew. He doesn't, you know, doesn't need, uh, he doesn't need me to do this, but I think it's as good a Baylor team as I've seen. They, they, multiple elite eights. I know, I know. And lost to the defending national champ or the eventual national champs, Kentucky and Duke in each game. And uh, they're still talking about the block charge in the Duke game in Houston, by the way. Uh, which should, which should have been a charge, but uh, needless to say, having said that, you know Tristan Clark is back healthy, and he was a kid that started to come out of nowhere last year, sixteen and nine, seventy five percent from the field, and then he was hurt early in conference play, and to give Scott Drew even more credit than he already deserves for becoming a tremendous coach, they adjusted their system, they played small. And despite the fact that they have a lot of different ways to go this year, I think the strength of this team is going to be in the backcourt. Uh, Jared Butler's outstanding. Macy Oteeb Teague is a tremendous uh, uh, transfer from UNC Asheville. Uh, Davion Mitchell from Auburn. Devontae Bandu. Love those guards. They're really tremendous. But again, Tristan Clark's healthy. Freddie Gillespie's improved. They've got a kid on the team, Andy, that you're aware of, but the, the listeners may not know. And this guy might take, you know, we could make it. If we had an award for the hardest playing guy in college basketball, this guy would be one of the finalists. And that's Mark Vidal, who's six foot five, looks like an outside linebacker, 
and one of the great offensive rebounders in the country. So Scott's got a lot of weapons this year. And the good news for them is there's a lot of guys that people nationally haven't really heard of who are going to really be very good players for them. Uh, what about Texas and TCU? Uh, Texas has got a lot of athletes, a young core. Um, you know, they've lost three guys each of the last three years to the draft, big guys. Um, I don't see that happening this year, but their backcourt's more mature. Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, Chase Febris, and of course the wild card, which is really cool. I got a chance to spend some time with him last week is there's a really good chance that they're going to get Andrew Jones back nearly healthy for the season. And this kid, that's would, tremendous. Yeah. It's great news. I mean, and, and he's gotten two years back, so he's only a redshirt sophomore. And those listening, if you don't remember, Andrew Jones um, is coming back from uh, battling cancer, and it was, you know, at one point, it was bad. Touch I mean, and go. I'm, I'm not Touch a doctor, but I mean, uh, it, you know, he lost a ton of weight, Yeah, and there was real, real concern. There wasn't a lot of information coming out of Austin, and then, you know, at one point, I think through his own Instagram, you know, he was sort of let everyone know that he was making that road to recovery. We saw him, even if I'm not mistaken, you know, sort of pushing his IV around in the hospital, uh, you know, shooting some hoops with it and uh, or just, you know, uh, trying to. Uh, so a remarkable comeback if, if it is fully complete yeah. uh, to this point. Yeah, he's finishing up his last treatment. And he did get on the floor last year, but very briefly. Yeah, yeah. and um, But we all kind of felt, those of us who follow the Big 12, that, you know, he wasn't going to be quite the same. But he, he feels great. He looks great. I watched him take part, and he wants to be in the drills. Shaka Smart is a little reluctant to get him in contact situations right now because if I had a guess, he's probably a week away from finishing the treatments completely. But as far as moving and shooting and, and breaking a sweat, uh, he's definitely out there and he's, he's ready to go. And uh, uh, it's going to be a great story, certainly in the Big 12 and nationally, if and when he returns to the floor. And if he gets back to even a reasonable semblance of himself, their backcourt is going to be really, really solid. And your last stop? TCU, very young team. Um, they've got a kid in Desmond Bain that I think – um, can make a run at the Big 12 player of the year. Um, now, I don't think TCU is going to finish in the top part of the league. That's just my opinion because they do have seven newcomers, but that might hurt Desmond Bain's chances. But I have to tell you, man, one of the one of the great players in the Big 12 this coming year, uh, going to be a four-year starter out of Richmond, Indiana, wasn't highly recruited, passed up by Purdue and Indiana, and, uh, you know, really is going to be, uh, you know, going to likely get drafted uh, in the NBA and is going to be a really good player. So they have him back. They have Kevin Samuel back in the low post, a sophomore from Barbuda, who is a load inside. And uh, Jamie Dixon's got a lot of young talent. But uh, young talent, if it's not one-and-done talent, it's really hard to win in a league like the Big 12, which has so much balance year in and year out, Andy. In looking at the league, there's no bad team. Uh, someone's going to be picked 8th, ninth, or 10th, but there is no bad team this year. I'm so excited to see where West Virginia is uh, with a McDonald's All-American coming in, Oscar Shebway. Uh, Oklahoma State's got five starters back. They're a d- very dangerous team. Uh, I don't know who the worst team in the Big 12 is, and I think that's partly because there's, like, like normal, so much balance. I agree with you. I mean, I've been doing some predictions here and the big 12 is up next 
later in the week. And I have to pick some teams at the bottom. I don't want to put Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, you know, in that sort of second half. But it's hard to push the top half out. I mean, I just feel so, you know, good about Kansas and yep. Texas Tech and Iowa State and Baylor. And I think Kansas State will still be very good. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it really could go in a number of different directions. Well, here's my sleeper team for you. My sleeper team in the league is Oklahoma State. Two terrific sophomores. Isaac Likely played on the gold medal team that won the under-19 world championships for Bruce Weber. Uh, your NA is about to become a household word nationally, the 6'11 big kid who finished the season in it with, you know, with, uh, with a bang. And then three seniors who've been starters now for a couple of years, Dezagua, Walters, and McGriff, and a good recruiting class. So if, you want, if you're looking for a team, I think, to be a sleeper in the top four or five in an NCAA team, Mike Boynton's got uh, a sneaky good team. And they're coming to New York, by the way. Uh, I'll see them at the preseason NIT uh, in a you know pretty good NIT with Syracuse, uh, Penn State, and Ole Miss. So keep your eye on the Cowboys. Fran, as always, you educate, you teach. Uh, <laughs> everyone can follow you on Twitter, at Fran Fraschilla. Uh, is that correct? That is correct, right? Andy. I'm grinding away. Yeah. and uh, uh, Yes, you are grinding away. And uh, I will see you for sure in person at Big 12 Media Day next month. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Always great catching up. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, you can find our podcast wherever you download your podcasts and, of course, on all our social media handles at March Madness on Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, on NCAA.com. Thanks for listening. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.